passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of the Eggshells Podcast Companion. This is an audible companion to Eggshells Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, book available right now that looks at pro wrestling history in Japan's most famous stadium. In this podcast, we take a look at a different year of Tokyo Dome history with a different guest each episode. This time we're looking at 2000 and joining me, replacing the advertised Brian Mann, sorry about that, uh, is one Mr. Joe Gagne. Hello. Hey, thank you. Thank you. You may, re- you may remember Joe from, or you may know Joe, uh, from one of, one of my favorite podcasts on the Voice of Wrestling Network, the, the Five Star Match Game. Not enough trivia podcasts about pro wrestling, I don't think. No, I think I'm one of the only ones I believe, which is good. And um, yeah, I, I kind of I'm the the G1 kind of snuck up on me, and it's like, well, I'll do a show in July, and now it's it's August, and I'm like, whoops, I kind of kind of fell behind. But we'll, we'll be back to that soon. Don't worry. You'd probably like inking in all of those G1 stats, so that you know, so that oh, yeah, your, your G1 episode yeah. is is probably up to date. Oh, I should probably do it. Yeah, a big G1 episode would be. Uh, pretty good amount of data out there too absolutely yeah yeah um and it's like people on twitter like i just i think like twitter wrestling wrestling twitter is um we've dated the podcast now i I didn't think (laughs) it's going to come out for another few weeks but uh we're recording it uh just as the block b finals have, have finished um but it it's it's an incredible thing that you know i i wonder why yours is the only wrestling trivia podcast out there because you know i think wrestling twitter in particular just loves stats and like there's been so much flying around during the cheat one it's like i'll cop that cop that and uh make an easy pub quiz of it but um yeah it's incredible especially g1 time right there's there's so many statistics going around that I'm sure this show is the highlight of your week so far. <laughs> to, uh, as yeah, you, yeah, yeah. In between calling uh, shows, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Because I was able to actually watch it and not like panic, <laughs> like yeah. be in a constant state of of flux. But um, yes, so 2000 uh, is what we're going to be looking at this episode. Um, what was Joe Gagney doing in the year 2000? Uh, just kind of starting to get into Japanese wrestling. Uh, Ooh, at the perfect. time, because I had bought um, uh, Virtual Pro Wrestling 2, and, uh, which was kind of based on those uh, like WCW Revenge and uh, uh, No Mercy and all that, kind of the Japanese equivalent of those video games. So I'm mm. like, I want to get on this. And there's like, oh, Japanese guys. I kind of like, it was an interesting way to learn about the, the characters and all, and you know their moves and their their taunts and all that and who's who and i started uh you know wcw and ecw had certainly started a, a steep decline and i didn't like being without any options so i'm like well i'm gonna check out uh you know some japanese tapes here and i started i started getting into it i, I bought tapes off ebay like bootleg tapes that was how we used to do it back in the day for all you lucky kids who just log on and stream shows yeah. live that was never an option back in the day you never get a show unspoiled because you you wanted to know what happened before you bought something mm. and uh yeah that's kind of how i uh i was getting into it so i was yeah i was reading more of the observer at the time so i was learning a bit more so uh yeah that's kind of the it was the genesis of my uh fandom of uh, japanese wrestling one thing i always like uh like to talk about with with people that were on the the tape trading scene and one thing like dan reed mentioned um when i first talked to him for the for this show is that you know, but now everybody, you know, you've got streaming services, you've got uh, YouTube and what have you. And like back in the day, the the equivalent of the recommended up next video on YouTube was somebody would would copy a tape for you and then stick some random shit on the end 
you know and so you might get you know some bizarre obscure uh indie stuff right there at the end of your japanese tape or vice versa you know and, and dan reed was was telling me that, that that's how he got into joshi wrestling was like something tacked on the end of like uh, uh some some new japan tape that you got oh that's interesting yeah i've seen i've had like you know eagle pro or something at the very end of uh you know some all japan tape i got and it's like what is this and because that's i mean that's really how you you learn things it was so much more difficult back then to get your eyeballs on these things which is yeah. a real benefit of, of uh, technology in yeah. modern wrestling <laughs> absolutely uh in 2000s uh in japan um well really worldwide but in, in march of 2000 uh, a big cultural event was the launch of the playstation 2 uh So that was the the big thing going on through through all of Japan, and and as somebody, uh, Joe, who I I first followed you because of the uh, the very very good uh, Joe Gagne's uh, Fun Time Arcade YouTube series. Um, so to uh, to go into that where where you know your YouTube series where you uh, review some more obscure slices of of wrestling video game them uh also released in 2000 was the first of squaresoft's all-star pro wrestling series are you you familiar with that one have you have you covered that one i have not covered i have not played that one i know of it it's one i definitely want to cover but i've never gotten around to it yeah it's it's, it's on the 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 pile that's like uh, the size of my house right now games i want to cover at some point very strange very very strange game has like a weird thing where the moves are on the analog sticks um so just a bizarre control system and um yeah at the, at the time very sort of focused around this was before the noah split and we'll get to that believe me but we'll get to that on this program like this came out in june and so um you know the the commercials were, were built around like muto and misawa um and so it was kind of yeah this this cool thing of of a new and all japan meeting up but uh, it's it's kind of crazy to think at the time. This was actually like All Star Pro Wrestling was apparently, as I found out uh, as I was getting ready for the show, top of like the best selling charts for like three months or something uh, in Japan. So it's kind of incredible to think, you know, wrestling games. You you just mentioned virtual pro wrestling as well, but like wrestling games being released on the regular and like topping the charts. It's, it's kind of a, a different world now. Although like um, as we we're recording this, Fire Pro Wrestling world has now finally released on on ps4 in japan so um yeah hopefully that does that does well deserves to anyway oh yeah uh also in 2000 the the top selling uh chart single in japan in 2000 was uh southern all-stars and That's on that's on the rag on my uh, iTunes playlist. No, no, I can't say I've no, no. I've dabbled in that. No, that is a a long running uh, gag on this podcast where nobody has heard the top selling chart. At some point, there will be a J-pop nerd that will uh, that I'll have on that 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 will go, oh yes, and and uh, tell me, educate me on Japanese pop music. But there you are. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, 2000 kicked off with uh, Wrestling World 2000 in the Tokyo Dome. And uh, a different kind of plan. Well, lots of spanners were thrown in the works for this show, um, this, this 2000 show. And it was one of the reasons why I, I wanted... Originally, we were trying to get Brian Mann on, on this show because uh, he did the, the Keep Your 2000 podcast looking at, at WCW Nitro in, in 2000. And... Um, there was a WCW presence on this show that was supposed to be a good deal stronger 
than it actually turned out to be. Um, how much, I don't know how much of this uh, you did actually watch, Joe, or did, we, did you just pick out the matches, or, or did you subject yourself to, I don't know, say, uh, Rick Steiner versus Randy Savage? <laughs> I, was, I, I won't lie and say I wasn't curious, but I, I did not delve any further into uh, that or Kimo and Kaz Fujita. <laughs> yeah but um yeah the the my pick on the on this show we we pick a different match um to talk about on each show and and my pick on this one was uh Manabune Kanishi versus Kenzo Suzuki um not because I'm a huge Kenzo Suzuki fan but because this but that this was the exemplified everything that that kind of went a little bit skew with with the show because the promotion for wrestling world 2000 front and center was Bill Goldberg. And um, this was meant to be, you know, Nakanishi, who had like a red hot 99, was just coming off of um, challenging for the IWGP title, challenging Muto at Final Dome 99, um, was really being set up. And that such kind of similar figures at the time, like Nakanishi, like the charismatic powerhouse you know very sort of straightforward brute force offense um and he was being set up with like the the spear-like tackles and everything like that and it it made a lot of sense to do nakanishi versus goldberg in the dome but what we got was something very very different uh yeah <laughs> what uh how was where would you sort of placed with the, you mentioned wcw off the top um we were, were you following wcw at the time and for me because i wasn't the, watching the wcw project at the time was this something that was ever mentioned that oh bill goldberg's gonna go to japan to, to meet someone i mean i haven't watched this stuff in years to my knowledge no they never made any kind of mention like oh our star is gonna go to uh japan in front of a huge crowd and uh and compete there it was never brought up at all to my recollection yeah kind of a strange sort of phase in but for for several years it was kind of a weird thing but like you know people would come and go across the, the two different promotions but nothing was ever really made of it you know kind of very very odd but of course uh goldberg would have come over to face Manobu Nakanishi if he didn't put his fist through a car window <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, a true story yeah absolutely so uh instead we got kenzo suzuki joe What's your what are your recollections of of Kenzo Suzuki? Um, God, I remember, I remember his weird WWE run where he was going to be Emperor Hirohito for a week till they realized that was a bad idea, and then him just kind of being a, a guy. I remember him teaming with I think Rene Dupree. I remember seeing them at a house show at some time, and him just kind of flaming out and kind of just just being around somewhere like for years. Like, is he still in all Japan at this point? I can't quite remember he's still floating around out there Russell one maybe yeah 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 he's he's somewhere he'll yeah. just show up in nowhere i'm sure he'll he's always around and um yeah he he looked a lot thicker here as a young lion than he did like you know years later he lost a lot of weight which is kind of the opposite of what you uh usually see yeah and because that size because of that size this was sort of billed as his super rookie match and this was a huge sort of lucking out process for kenzo suzuki and the opposite of that for for nakanishi i guess because nakanishi went from facing bill goldberg to facing kenzo suzuki and um this was actually suzuki's debut so a very very you 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 could tell that oh you know, the whole machine was was getting geared behind uh kenzo suzuki really predominantly because of of his size you know i think that's a that's a fair thing to say and um you know, you you see from the outset, you know, it's not a traditional young lion treatment for Kenzo Suzuki in this match, right? No, I mean, you know, it goes a um, decent amount of time. It goes, uh, look at the time here. About, yeah, it goes a little under seven minutes, so a little bit longer than you might expect. He gets some, he lays in some good shots on uh, Nakanishi. He, he takes a pounding, as, as you would expect. And, um, you know, I mean, you, you watch this match, you can see like, oh, I can see why they would they would get behind this guy and kind of seeing what he became is um <laughs> kind of amazing in hindsight yeah it's almost you know i think poor kenzo but like he he became better you know in in his indie stage of his career you know over the last few years um but very much sort of a victim of 
being pushed very very early and and very very young and at a very very green sort of stage and of course it it worked out strangely because suzuki as you mentioned did have a, a wwe run uh where he was originally going to be called hirohito before they got talked down off off of that uh mountain that they would have died on um and but yeah that that came together because wwe had a deal with j sports in japan and j sports wanted a, a japanese wrestler in, in wwe um but j sports pitched someone else and you are the uh, the trivia man joe uh j sports suggested uh somebody other than kenzo suzuki uh be headed to wwe from new japan who do you think that was oh man tables have turned um uh i don't know sasaki no, it would have been Hiroshi Tanahashi that, that would have oh. gone. And you imagine oh, the how different everything would have played out in, in New Japan history had Kenzo Suzuki stayed and the other King of the Hill, Hiroshi Tanahashi, gone. Um, really quite quite a story to tell. And it was it was New Japan eventually that, that uh, you know, said, no, we want to keep Tanahashi and sent Kenzo Suzuki instead. <laughs> You know, I bet WWE wishes they got Tanahashi at that point because there may not be a New Japan to run. It's uh... <laughs> yeah, Madison Square Gardens, yeah, perhaps so, quite possibly, yeah, um, yep. So, an an interesting match, really more interesting, I think, for the the historical context than than the match itself, but uh, still remarkable for a young line to to debut in the Tokyo Dome like that. Um, but your match. I think what what you chose was was definitely the one, you know. It, it's usually I always choose the matches that oh this is historically interesting or weird or significant, and my guest always chooses the best matches, <laughs> and uh, that's that's what you chose with with your one. So what did you pick from this card and why? I chose the the main event of uh, Kensuke Sasaki beating uh, Jinichiro Tenru for the IWGP title in uh, a quick fourteen forty three. We had commented on kind of the the, the quickness of. Um, some of these matches here compared to uh, what we're seeing today. And uh, I was just kind of interested how this main event from uh, almost 19 years ago would look uh, through today's eyes. And um, how do you think? Because it, it, it looks every bit... I was watching it the, you know, the other day and every bit like a, an Ishii... I mean, obviously, like, you know, Ishii, Ishii's mentors, Tomohiro Ishii's mentors are like Tenryu, Choshu, Sasaki, you know, so... But you see every bit of that in in this match, right? It, it feels very, very much like that that kind of match. Yeah, like a, a quarter of the match is them kind of, you know, swapping rest holds. Another quarter is like them doing wrestling moves like power bombs and whatnot. And the other half is them like punching each other right in the face. Like right in the face. It was just... Un- it was like the, the physicality was just... I think maybe even stronger than what we see these days. Yeah, just I I love like the the start of this where Tenyu pushes pushes like before the belly from rings like he storms over pushes Tiger Dory over and just like socks Sasaki right in the face. You know, that's ah uh, that that's one moment. The the other moment that that really made me think Ishii was you know ob- obviously you always think Ishii with the the chops and the forearms you know as opposed to Tenyu would do the 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 close fist punches but there's a bit where like sasaki is chopping tenu who's like he's he's sort of sat on the bottom rope you know what i mean like he's sat between the bottom and second ropes is it's sort of like dazed and, and sitting there and sasaki's just chopping 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 before like tenu's just like nope you know um but they get into some insane shit like in terms of the, the moves they're doing in this match especially when you consider that tenu is north of 50 at this point Oh yeah, it's like, just some of the. Did um, did, he took a top rope uh, Frankensteiner right at one point? Yeah, yeah. I'm remembering correctly, yeah, that was like that, and just and then like, like this was a match. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, but moments before that, he tries his own and That's gets right. caught into a powerbomb. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. It's like like this was a match you really felt Sasaki like like he earned like he really earned the win taking all this punishment. And coming out on top, you really felt like, oh, this is this guy's the man now. Yeah, a, a very sort of. But I mean, you know, you mentioned the the time of fourteen minutes, a much much shorter main event style that you know that we see here and and in this era, but a very very punchy one. It, you don't 
like finish watching a 14 minute match and, and feel wanting it, it feels very satisfying i think i would yeah i would agree i don't think they could have gone a whole lot longer <laughs> you know, i want them to go you know half hour punching each other square in the jaw but the, the one thing that's what you know, I, I said, I mentioned it on Twitter as I was watching this match that when you see someone like, when you watch this match and then you watch someone like Ishii, you see like Tenryu is, I think people, I mean, people call Tenryu like Mr. Pro Wrestling for a, a reason, but that reason isn't because he's got wonderful execution and he's such a smooth you know, no. guy. Um, <laughs> no. They do it, you know, because of his just his violence and everything, and and you know he's just the, he's very much like a very rough fighter kind of guy, you know, and and what he's doing isn't pretty, you know, that power bomb he does is not pretty in the least, um, but you you just buy wholly into him, um, but with Ishii, I just kind of feel with Tomohiro Ishii is like the the true next Mister Pro Wrestling, he, he kind of takes that that rough and readiness that that ballsy attitude that fuck you kind of style and then blends it with someone like sasaki who was kind of more smooth in everything that he does and i think like that's what makes this match interesting is like you've got the rough against the smooth in, in this one that that's um that's part of what makes it really satisfying i think oh yeah absolutely i think i think it's interesting how ishii turned you know that his toughness is kind of more of an underdog role where tenru is just like the toughest man in the world at least he comes across here yeah yeah and someone much like you know much like suzuki today but a, a guy that had tremendous just a tremendous run in his 50s you know so like yeah. tenure in the 2000s was brilliant you know and um it's crazy that the, the style that he was he was able to wrestling you know back back then and and he seems to get seemed to get consistently better with age um where you know it, it's similar to minoru suzuki where he's still consistently great you're now north of 50 yeah yeah no absolutely anyone plus 50 runs i think you have to put him right near the top yeah so uh we move from that uh, wrestling world 2000 to a little bit later on in the spring um where we are looking at oh man i'm gonna i can't find it in my notes i'm gonna edit this bit out can't think of the this the show name okay there we go uh where we're looking at njpw dome impact and this is a really weird show was this something uh joe that that surprised you when you looked up the listing on cage match yeah, just like nine singles matches up and down the card. A lot of uh, some, uh, you know, kind of noteworthy heavyweight versus a junior. A couple of them we're going to discuss here, and um, yeah, just like just an odd thing they threw. Like this is a dome show they threw out. It's kind of amazing when you think of the one show a year they run now. Like all the care that goes into that card and presenting the biggest card. It was just like, well, you know, here you go, enjoy, enjoy dome crowd. Yeah, so what this was, the, it, it was kind of like a, a, the definition of what was a one-match show, and then to kind of support it, they, they gave it this concept underneath. And the concept underneath it was like Challenge the Super Heavy, where it would be different junior heavyweights challenging different heavyweight wrestlers. Um, so you had that, and then they, they threw in another sort of Chono and, and Great Muto in, installment. Um and but really it, it was all about Naryogara and and Shinya Hashimoto because like they they did this whole deal where you know it was it was a retirement if Hashimoto loses then then he has to leave um and that was still you know one year one and a bit years after the incident and you know a good few years into their feud um this was still like a a big enough deal to legitimately do pretty well at the, at the dome and this was um a live they you know they did a sort of live sort of cut down primetime special um on this this match in itself you know um so it was a a really big deal was was Akara and Hashimoto um but underneath yeah as, as you mentioned some some really good matches because you you had this rare setup of of junior heavyweights versus heavyweights um you know, in particular, Liger and Sasaki was probably the most 
notable on paper, but uh, wasn't quite the best in my book. Um, Otani and Kojima had a really, really good match on this card, and like, it's really hard to find now um, because certain things have happened to certain reliable people <laughs> for mm, yeah. dodgy feeds on the internet. But um, yeah, Otani and, and, Otani and, and um, Kojima is, is really, really good on that card. Um, but uh, what should we talk about here, Joe? Do you want do you want to go to the main event or or have a chinwag about uh, Sasaki and Liger? I don't know what a chinwag means, but we can discuss Sasaki and Liger. <laughs> so, like, yeah, this was. Um, well, what what were your thoughts on on this match? First of all, well, I thought it was just kind of interesting that this was kind of the period Liger had bulked up a bit, and it wasn't mm. like the the idea of a you know heavyweight versus junior is this kind of clash of styles. You know, you'd see a faster opponent against a bigger, stronger one. And that wasn't really super the case here. Like, Liger was giving them some power moves here. Whereas today, if they did the equivalent of, uh, you know, Kenny against, you know, if Hiromu was healthy, it kind of leaned a lot more towards the junior heavyweight style, I feel, where this sure. one was a lot more heavyweight style. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that probably speaks to what the heavyweight style was as being yeah. more distinct. You know, I think now the heavyweight style in like modern new Japan is very sort of junior heavyweight style. What was junior heavyweight mm. style? Um, but uh, yeah, this was kind of like in the bulk of the, the black, you know, like in the, the black costume and, and being a, a very villainous, um, grumpy man, like a face at this point in his life. They did this um, deal in, in late 99 where like was pissed off with the junior heavyweights that there was nobody appropriate um, to, to face him uh, in the junior heavyweights anymore, that nobody had any will to win anymore. Um, and that's sort of what sparked him wanting to, to face the heavyweights, I guess. And um, he would be in the G1, I think, that year as well. So that's um, one of your, your G1 trivia, trivia notes that you can use. There you go. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was kind of, for me, a little bit of a come down because I went into watching this match uh, initially with visions of, like, Liger and Hashimoto from 94, dancing in my head in the Budokan. Um, and I really, really liked that match. And this match is kind of, it's okay, but it's also what, pretty short, like it's like eight, nine minutes. It's not like the, the epic clash that you would expect, right? No, not quite. Yeah, it goes just under eight minutes here. And yeah, a little underwhelming, you'd think, given the stature of both guys. I mean, not not bad, but uh, you know, Sasaki puts them away fairly handily with a Northern Lights bomb. Because, you know, I mean, you'd never expect the, the junior heavyweight to ever win in these situations because the heavyweight title is so protected. So that's just kind of part and parcel there. Yeah. And we're talking in an era where like the, the junior heavyweights were kind of being defocused a little bit. Um, and that kind of, you know, there is like a disappointing aspect on this show of like the, the challenge, the super, the super heavyweight concept. Um, and that being really exciting, and then all the junior heavyweights lose on this show. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's it, oh, you know, even if you had sort of one or two, then then that would have been something really exciting. Um, but uh, yeah, that that's the way that it was, and then that led to Agawa and Hashimoto. Um, sadly, because of Nagoya's requests not a lot of agara in fact no agara matches are on on new japan world um have you seen had you seen much of agara's time in new japan yeah i've seen pretty much all the big stuff right right so i mean what are your thoughts on agara because i mean this is with this was such a a hot feud hot um program a hot period and agara has a lot of charisma to his credit but it is something that you know a lot of people going back i know yuji nagata has, has said a lot since that that everything that's exciting about and everything that's good about agara versus hashimoto is because of how good shinya hashimoto is you know and, and hashimoto really carried him through a lot of stuff um is that something that you that you kind of feel watching these matches but yeah i thought you know hashimoto was really the, carrying the heavy load here and ogawa does have he certainly does have an aura about him, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of associate bad things with Ogawa in uh, in New Japan and kind of the down. Not that it's his fault, but I just kind of have that 
that connection between the the dark times that would be coming ahead and uh you know what they did with ogawa especially here yeah i mean it's yeah no again whether you, yeah whether it's quite his fault it's probably it's certainly you're not on him but ogawa is still one of those um sort of focal points of inokiism not as a as a style but as in this is where the fractures between the MMA guys and like the, the pro wrestlers and that sort of starting to happen and all of this confusing, confusing issue or these confusing issues that, that will take place over the next sort of three years that we'll get into. Um, yeah, this, this is kind of seen, I think everything ever since UFO and the, and the January, the fourth incident, that's where you start sort of those, those issues start coming to a head. But, um, still like the the story i think for this this i mean this match is if you look at it in a vacuum it's not entirely great but i think when you look at it as part of this their whole story um it 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 makes a lot of sense and then like the drama behind it makes a lot of sense and how invested the crowd in makes more sense because like you know what the what they've gone through and i think like this match really plays well off of especially like the final dome 99 match like um the the match i don't know if you remember joe where like it, it was fujinami was the was the referee and then like he stopped the match because like agawa is just repeatedly sdoing hashimoto and like hashimoto would stand up and he'd get, he'd get hit with an sdo and then again and then again and then again and then fujinami stopped it um and like with knowing that context um i think makes this match a good deal more exciting yeah absolutely and you were right i mean the crowd's living and dying with hashimoto here and the announcer is just out of his mind like the whole time like i'm like the most excited announcer i think i've ever heard like everyone's just kind of just kind of willing hashimoto to win and uh it does not happen yeah, and the the sort of power of the the finish here, and like Hashimoto, just like the story of that feud is like Hashimoto can't do anything once he gets hit with the STO. Like you know, it's kind of over, and he does have that flurry where like you know he he gets in a little bit of offense before the the last three or whatever, and that's what the the crowd really really strongly reacts to, right? Where you you know, think this time. You know, because like he gets hit with an SDR right, and like Hashimoto just stands up. He gets up before Ogawa does, and like hits that big elbow, and everybody just goes completely nuts. But like it, oh, yeah. it really doesn't last long, and then you you get yeah what three or four STOs, and then it, he gets a, like a standing ten count. So like that drama yeah. of he's done. You know, his the shock of his lost, his finished, he's done, and it wasn't you know it wasn't because there was a three count it, it was because he was just out you know he just had nothing left um that was uh you know a, a really dramatic finish absolutely yeah that was just kind of you could just you just kind of see the shock in the crowd when it uh yeah when the the 10 counts just i mean certainly memorable stuff absolutely and this was i mean another sort of crossroads in history you know we said before how how would new japan differ if if wwe had taken tanahashi instead of suzuki but um how familiar are you with what you know with the birth of zero one and and what happened as as hashimoto made his exit from new japan here i mean i know the the gist of the story yeah so the the idea was that it, it was yeah he he was out of the company but he was out of the company in a pro wrestling sense right <laughs> it, it wasn't, yeah yeah um, he went to like he started his own company but it was affiliated with new japan and yeah. then it wasn't and became its own thing yeah so the idea it would have been called uh new japan zero was going to be the name so it was going to be a, a, a new japan brand um and it would have been kind of a yeah a separate thing but under the new japan umbrella and being kind of very you know like a a super indie concept right where he would get people in from all over you know all over japan all over these these different promotions um but what happened was there was a teensy bit of a political fracture in all japan at the time um that led to a fair few wrestlers from all japan or you know to put it more accurately everybody but like two wrestlers from all japan leaving and setting up pro wrestling noah 
Um, and so, you know, this ties into what we're going to talk about in the, in our last event here. Um, all Japan really having nowhere to go when and worked with New Japan. So there was this thing of, okay, we're going to you know, break down the walls between us and, and we're going to cooperate because there was no other way to fill out all Japan cards at all without using some of the New Japan talent and without using, you know, they had some luck because uh, war was on the way out. So they managed to bring Tenryu back, which was a big, you know, building of a, a rebuilding of a long burnt bridge with all Japan and Tenryu, you know, and if you want like more concepts or more context on that, um, you can go back and listen to our sort of earlier episodes, especially if you listen to the 95 episode, I think with the, the, uh, libel cases and the, the bribing of, of the press to, to slander Genichiro Tenryu, then, um, then that's all in there where you can read the book for that as well. But, um, yeah, so so what happened then, of course, was like this was when you know All Japan and specifically Mrs. Barber were obviously and understandably very very upset with everybody connected to Noah, but Hashimoto had gone off and made deals with Misawa to like bring them on for New Japan Zero, New Japan Zero, so like that was not going to happen. There were people in New Japan already that weren't fans of the concept, and it all came to a head, and then. You know, depending on whose account you believe, either Hashimoto gets fired or he walks out, and then you that begat zero uh, one. But uh, it did begat some like pretty cool stuff between zero one and, and Noah in those those first few shows. I don't know if you've seen any of that stuff. Oh yeah, no, I remember that. I was a big zero one fan in the early days. They did some really, they had some really interesting guys on there too, like um, Wotoru Sakada. I remember they brought in like a Loki from the U.S. and. Mm. They had Hashimoto and Ogawa as a, a tag team, and a really eclectic mix of, uh, of guys. They were interesting for a while. Yeah, yeah, right. And that sort of early golden age, they had, they had a little yeah. really good golden run with, like, yeah, and then Steve Carino as well, and, like, Samoa Joe, and, like, Punk and Loki, yeah. Just had, yeah, and um, yeah. Sato Tanaka and Otani, who are still there, and... Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, what I mentioned before with the, the breakup between, um, all in New Japan, that would, uh, you know, bring about our, our last event in, in New Japan, uh, in this year in 2000. One of my favorite wrestling event names of all time, Joe. <laughs> Do judge. Do judge. I don't sure. know what it means. Do judge, exclamation point, exclamation point. <laughs> Two exclamation points very important um what do you think it it means (laughs) um i guess we'll decide who is the better company between all japan and new japan we will do judge oh yeah okay we will do a judge Uh, yeah Yeah. we will do a judge yes yes if it may be like it needed a comma i do judge (laughs) Wait, should I really sort of should I really hedge my bets here or should I get you know should I go for it should I really make a judgment oh yes please do judge yeah I think maybe that's what perhaps they were going for but um yeah well we'll touch on Sasaki Kawada uh a little bit later on you you had an interesting pick for this match for this card yeah I went with um Liger versus Super Delphin the Super Junior Golden Age match, uh, the second match where Liger wins, in a little under 14 minutes with a brain buster. I was just, I was just interested at the time because I, you know, the the ideas of juniors at the dome that was always kind of the idea. Like, well, it never really works because uh, the arena's, you know, it's too big. It, it, their action doesn't really carry over, and they were, you know, Delphin was always a long term favorite of mine. And New Japan was working a lot with the the newly or fairly new Osaka Pro promotion at the time. You'll see them doing uh, various matches um, throughout the year. So I was just, I was curious to look back and see how, how this one looked. Mm, yeah. A lot of like the knock sometimes on juniors in the Tokyo Dome within a certain era is partly it is, it does the action translate to a stadium cup, but also as you see new Japan, as we'll see over the next few years, like new Japan push further back in the television schedule they they have less time with which to introduce guys to a television audience 
um, and their guys are less visible on TV. So that necessarily meant that a lot of the junior guys wouldn't be on TV. Um, so a lot of the time for the, the casual fans in the, in the Tokyo Dome crowd, it'd be like, who's this guy? I don't know. Um, and yeah, Super Delphin was uh, not an unknown, but, but a reasonably obscure figure, I think. Um, but he was in, I think, like the 98, no, the 99 All Japan Dome show, I think, um, where he was a, a good deal more comedic than in this match. But like here, he got a little bit of a, of a flurry and, and, and a good deal of, of offense against Liger here, at least in the early going. Um, you know, because Delphin gets in that, that vertical drop brain buster, uh, which is you know, a little bit of stealing from from Liger, but then just a little bit later on, you you get like pissed off Liger here. You know, you get that really horrible hard whip, sick power bomb from from Liger, which which changes the tone. I think. Yeah, there was some really crisp execution in this match. There was a great backdrop suplex, the power bomb you mentioned, the brain busters. It was just kind of. I mean, we didn't see the full version. The version we saw was clipped. It looks like we missed the the early portion. It was, you know, and it, it came across okay. Just kind of a back and forth match, and then like our never never really seemed in great danger. He just hit the brain buster for the win at the end. Yeah, and like you get like really grumpy Liger backstage afterwards as well. Um, he's super pissed off, and and he's sort of like he's he's not tired at all. Um, he's going like he didn't feel in in any sense that Delphin ever wanted to beat him. You know, he didn't feel any he didn't feel any dangers from him. He didn't feel any sort of heart from him. And like, why you've you you can't even call this guy human? Why are you bringing him in front of me? You know. Um, <laughs> And yeah, yeah, and so there's a little bit of a, uh, I think some legitimate like anger in in Liger here, and and perhaps a little bit of frustration as well, you know, because I as I said, like I think there were, there was a legitimate feeling from Liger at the time that the junior heavyweight division wasn't quite up to up to snuff, you know, that, and that that at this point that golden era was starting to fade away from him. And that's why he wanted to move up and that he had had, you know, even though he lost in seven minutes or whatever, he had had that match with Sasaki in the Dome, uh, the Dome show prior. And then he was just coming off the, the G1. So he'd had that G1 run. And then, you know, what's he doing after that? He's kind of wrestling an Osaka pro guest, you know, and, and I don't know whether perhaps, he, you know, he was feeling a little bit of frustration in there. And, and that's what came out backstage. Mm. This was actually a rematch of the 94 Best of the Super Junior Finals, which is a lot better match, in my opinion. They yeah. just characterize work a lot better. Yeah. Um, and then we had Sasaki Kawada, which was a very different style of, style of match to what we were just talking about. But, um, yeah, quite quite a famous match. And... Um, you know, a, a lot to, to uncover here. But um, was this as you were tape trading back at the, the time, Joe, or you were starting to, to get into this? When, when did you uncover like all of this stuff? Was this something that you were kind of nobody was following this stuff live? You know, it, it, it was a good deal after the time. But were you kind of on top of what was happening in, in you and all Japan at the time? Or was that something you came to years later? I knew what was happening, but I don't know if I really grasped the magnitude of what was happening of Kawada being in a dome against Sasaki because I, you know, I hadn't been following long enough to you know realize how separate the companies have been and how big both companies were and what what a big deal this was. And this isn't something you're really ever going to see today. There's no real match where you know another company is going to send a guy to the dome. You know, if you send Kento Miyahara, that you know that I'm sure would be a great match. You get some interest. It's not going to be like it was here. Yeah, right. And there, there was such a sort of emotion to it that you had, um, thanks to the years, I think, of, of like the, the walled garden of through the, the peak period of, of all Japan through the nineties. Um, and thanks to like everything that had happened politically with, with Noah and, and the, the disarray that, that, that was in place in, in the wrestling world at the time. Yeah, I think you had a crowd that was very emotional, very partisan, um, and you had just everything. It was a a real perfect storm, I think, of um, the emotion there and then Sasaki being looking to be invincible going into this match as well. So, you know, the announcers were, were talking about how 
Kawad is being watched over by, by Giant Baba and is being watched over by Jumbo Tsuruta. Um, and then at the same time, so you, you've got that emotional core with Kawada, whereas like with Sasaki, Sasaki is like almost invulnerable at this point. You know, he was like IWGP champion. He'd won the G1 that year while still champion, which is something nobody's done since. Um, so really like this, this impervious, invincible guy, you know, and it, standing face to face with with Kawada and and then they they go at it and then you know that being that making that making the finish so much more impactful I think you know where Kawada does win and then Sasaki you know it's a, this is a non-title match but like they give him the belt and they give Sasaki the belt and like he he turns it down and he doesn't want it because he's not worthy of it you know that that that's that's one of the the real sort of emotionally resonant moments in in pro wrestling then and a really significant moment i think yeah this you could just tell this was a big deal i mean even if you kind of went in uh not really knowing the circumstances you could just tell like this is this is a happening yeah and it just, I mean, like we were we were talking before about tenure and Sasaki and kind of a, a real, you know, I mean, you you go back to the the violence here, you know, for certainly, but uh, you know, a, a little bit smoother in style and and an interesting sort of step here because this is kind of in a way that the strong style versus King Road. I think like that was another aspect of this match that that you know it's. That, that perhaps is it's easy to miss because you kind of think okay it's not just like politically like this difference but like this clash of like wrestling ideologies i think that's that's really interesting you know that sasaki this uh you know strong style guy all, all about the offense kawada like kind of you know king's road and, and that being about about defense being about going through a lot and persisting and you see that i think like that there's a bit where they they're both they're both like keeping risk control of one another, kind of a Kata Tanahashi style. You know, they're they're fighting over risk control. Their their arms are linked, and they're still they're chopping each other with their free hands. You know, um, and that you know again it kind of speaks to like Kawada being about emotional resonance, I think, and Sasaki being about powerhouse offense. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Kind of the clash of ideologies of wrestling just kind of added to the whole showdown aspect. It wasn't just you know oh, here's the two top guys from each company let's see what happens it was kind of just more of a, a philosophy battle in a way yeah this was like um and oh it's just it's just my favorite like the the lead up to the finish there where like kawadi gets like four successive interiors on sasaki and then you know he's on the run on the fifth and sasaki like blocks the fifth enziguri by just lariating like kawada's legs as <laughs> he's kicking him um just oh just like that the nothing but brute strengthness from sasaki was was phenomenal there but like yeah uh, one more lariat one more enziguri and, and it was over there but yeah, um and- Kawada doesn't, you know, he doesn't do a strong cover. He just kind of limps over and just kind of tosses himself on top of Sasaki. Yeah. But it's enough. It's enough to get the win. Yeah. Again. Yeah. And I don't know whether you have to hand uh, how long that match was. Do you at all? Uh, just it's, under twenty minutes. Just under twenty minutes. But I mean, again, as as we said, speaking to that style, you, it was such a high impact main event style i think especially in japan in in the early 2000s and people kind of talk now about uh, like the in-ring style being dangerous or whatever um you know i think like in 98 99 and then through the early age through the early years of of noah it was all about just the style was just about exhausting yourself pushing yourself to absolute exhaustion and like these they were going about 200 miles an hour you know in these these 10 15 minute matches far more so i think now where where you have longer matches but i think where people pace them where guys pace themselves more over like a 35 40 minute match um yeah yeah i think matches go longer i mean they're still certainly physical but i mean you can't do a match like this for you know 35 minutes just kind of the the pace and physicality that cut and the violence it's just not suited for long term yeah right and and uh, i think it, you know it, it was a great sort of period to be a fan but i think as well like it it was something that caught up to a, a lot of these guys over the over the next few years 
But um, yeah, so I mean, those were the the Tokyo Dome shows in 2000, uh, Joe. Which out of the ones, uh, you know, out of the matches you saw and out of the the shows you saw uh, going into this this podcast here, w- what stood out to you as as the best? What what was the highlight from here? I think the Kawada Sasaki. I mean, just being a, a great match on its own, but the kind of the significance of it, the kind of being the kind of match you never thought you'd see, and just everything that went into it kind of made the complete package to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely a, a fair shout. Um, but I think I saw Sasaki Tenu most recently, so like that's something where I go, oh, I, lo- I love that the most. But like, it's it's so hard to say. But that, I mean, that's that's one thing where you know, Kensuke Sasaki isn't. It's strange, isn't it? Because like, do you feel he gets enough props? Almost, or like you know, because I think people we we think about you know that to a lot of a ca- or, I don't know you you can't really say casual, but like to a, a lot of fans of like pro wrestling over the nineties in you you know you're thinking of the four pillars in all Japan, and you're thinking in New Japan of like three musketeers, and like it's it's Hashimoto, Chono, and Muto, and you don't think about Sasaki sometimes, like he's kind of on that that tier below um even though he was you know he he'd won the belt and then he became a, a mainstream tv star as well you know he, he became a really really famous mainstream celebrity but do you do you feel is is that fair to say joe that, that he doesn't get enough plaudits for how yeah, good that he was yeah i mean he was a huge star and it's a little it's odd in the sense where you have um, hashimoto chono and mudo as their group and then kind of the next wave was Tenzan, Nagata, and Nakanishi, and kind of um, Sasaki's just kind of an island on his own there. There's also his, you know, he left for World Japan at one point, and then, you know, resurfaced in Noah and did some, some great things there. And I think, you know, him kind of bouncing around, I think kind of gets lost with a big star he was for New Japan. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yes, Saki definitely one of one of my favorites from from the nineties, and uh, that rounds us out for two thousand, a very very turbulent year in pro wrestling, and the fallout from that is something that will echo through two thousand one. Uh, joining me for two thousand one will be another figure from the Voice of Wrestling team, as as Rich Krejci will will talk about the two thousand one shows there for us. Um, in the meantime, Joe, we are about to get on out of here, but this podcast. Bear in mind, as we're recording this, the ninety six podcast has just gone up on the the general public feed of uh, uh, post wrestling. So people will be listening to this four weeks from now. To, to really date it, guys. Um, so with that in mind, Joe, is there something not particularly time-sensitive that, that you want to plug as we get on out? Uh, you can just follow me on Twitter at Joe Gagne, G-A-G-N-E, for some uh, fun wrestling tweets. And uh, my above-mentioned uh, trivia wrestling trivia podcast, Five Star Match Game, can be found at the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And my YouTube show, The Fun Time Arcade, also at uh, youtube.com slash Mike and Tom Present, or just search for... Joe Gagney Funtime Arcade. We have like um, 70 episodes about uh, wrestling video games. You'll find something to enjoy there. And I'm uh, still doing work on both of those shows. So hopefully as uh, the show arises, we'll have some uh, hopefully new content either just released or coming out soon. Yeah. All right. So until next time, thanks for listening and uh, take care of yourselves. Goodbye. <laughs>